There we go. All right. Well, hey, we'll get this sooner or later. Anyway, hey, at this time, uh, i honored to uh, introduce our speaker for this morning. Uh, his name is Michael Barr from the land of the great uh, ice cream cone over in L Lamar's, Iowa. So, and I'm sure they're known for a lot more than that. So, but <laughs> anyway, at this time, um, we're happy to w welcome you here, Michael. Thank you, sir. There you no, go. I'll take the podium, Mike. Okay. You see it. All right. I'll take that. All right. Good morning. Um, hey, thanks for having me back. You know, this is the the second trip I've made to your church. Uh, I was here in October, um, and I am. It is a special blessing uh, to be with so many great, awesome people here at uh, Calvary Bible Church. Uh, I'm thankful that Pastor Peter asked me to fill the pulpit today, um, and in praying that he has a good and restful vacation. I know that's important for um, him to get away. Um, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Michael Barr, and I bring you greetings and good wishes from the ice cream capital of the world, uh, Lamar's, Iowa. I didn't bring any ice cream. It would have mel melted today anyway. I would have had no chance. Um, I was first connected with this church uh, because our assistant pastor at Lamar's Bible Church and Peter went to seminary together uh, in Dallas. So uh, Peter asked somebody to fill the pulpit, and Jake couldn't do it, so here I am. Um, one of the things we've been focusing on at LBC uh, in our adult Sunday school time is to train people, just uh, to, to uh, spread the word of God and uh, to interpret the Bible correctly and, and um, be a leader in our church. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to share with you today uh, what I've learned and been encouraged uh, with the word of God. Um, the passage today is in James, and James is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, it's been compared to the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, uh, specifically the book of Proverbs, because James is filled with um, very direct and very uh, pungent um, statements on wise living. The book was written by James, uh, the Lord's half-brother, uh, and probably written before the meeting of, of the Jerusalem Council, uh, likely between the years 44 and 49 AD. James wrote this epistle, to challenge his readers to examine their faith and see if it's a truly genuine saving faith. In the book, he offers lots of tests to test your faith, to see if it's genuine and true. And one of those tests is found in today's passage. Before we get there, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Uh, Father God, we just thank you for uh, this day you've given us, for the opportunity to come together and freely worship um, to, to just understand your word. I just pray that you'll open the hearts, uh, help me to say the right words, and just trust that this message is um, helpful uh, to those that need it and just encouraging to those uh, who are uh, on their walk. Just thank you for this day. Uh, help us to have a, um, just a wonderful afternoon praising you. Ask these things in your name. Amen. All right. In the so I'm going to be in James 5, 7 through 11 uh, today. In the first six verses of chapter 5, uh, if you read the first half of chapter 5, James spent time sharply rebuking the wicked rich people who were abusive to the righteous and the poor. In verses 7 through 11, which is where we'll be today, he shifts his focus from the persecutors to the persecuted, moving from a condemnation of those who were faithless, abusive, and rich to comforting the faithful, the abused, and the poor. The theme in this section is how to patiently endure suffering. Suffering is a part of everyone's life. It just is. 
The world provides numerous remedies to deal with these sufferings or trials, and some people will turn to streaming. Uh, They'll binge watch their favorite show and escape. Some will throw themselves into social media. Some will realize they need to spend more time with family and take efforts to do so. Some who are also suffering will also turn to dark things and perhaps become reliant on pornography, drugs, and alcohol to cope with their sufferings. These remedies that the world provides show a lack of patience. We live in a world where people want a quick fix to their suffering. There's a danger that Christians can become reliant on these quick fixes to stop suffering. That, however, is in contrast to the Bible, which commands us to endure suffering patiently. But why? It's easier. Why can't believers just use these seemingly harmless remedies to end miserable and difficult suffering? The answer to that question is found in James 5, 7 through 11. Let's read this passage together. So James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. The Bible says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of the suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. There are six reasons in this passage that Christians should patiently endure suffering. Six reasons why we should patiently endure suffering. First, number one, Christians should endure patiently endure suffering because the Lord is coming back. Verses seven through eight. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Three times in this section, verses 7, 8, and 9, James refers to the believer's great hope, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The realization that things will not always be as they are now, that believers are headed to what Hebrews 11.10 says, is the city whose whose architect and builder is God provides such great hope for those who are undergoing trials and suffering. The word coming, is, is the, the Greek word of that is parousia, and an important term in the, is an important term in the New Testament. It's most commonly used in the New Testament uh, to refer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians real quick. Uh, we'll jump around and then we'll come back to James. 2 Thessalonians 2, chapter 8. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, says this, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 16, For we did not know, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Another example of the Lord's coming that's talked about in the New Testament, 1 John 2.28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrinking from him in shame at his coming. And finally, Matthew 24.27. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Lord. Here the word means more than just coming, though. Um, It includes the idea of presence. A better use of the word might be arrival. We're talking about the Lord's arrival. The church's great hope is the arrival of Jesus Christ when he comes to bless his people with his presence. 
Our Lord has a lot to say about his return. Um, there's all sorts of examples that we could look at today. If you want to study it on your own, Matthew 24, uh, verses 5 through 26 is a good place to start. Um, he taught, the Lord taught there that his return would be preceded by definite signs. Um, the Lord's coming is portrayed as a dramatic, climactic event, as striking and as unmistakable as lightning. And as joyful as it will be for those gathered to enjoy Jesus' presence, it will be equally as awful for those who are banished from it. Every Christian is to live in the hope of the certainty of Christ's return. In the book of 2 Timothy, Paul, who had faced great suffering in his own who had faced great suffering and uh, facing his own death, wrote this in 2 Timothy 4:8. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. To emphasize the hope we should live with, James uses the illustration of the farmer. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it. Okay, maybe not so patient, but it's supposed to be patient. Um, until it gets its early and late rains. Having planted his crops, he waits expectantly for the soil to produce something precious. The downside of that is that that depends on something totally outside the farmer's control. God bringing together all the elements needed for that crop to grow. All the farmer can do is be patient as he eagerly awaits for the crops to come in. It is both the farmer's privilege and responsibility to wait patiently for his crops to grow. And it is both a, patient, a privilege and a responsibility of Christians to constantly be, as the book of Titus says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.7 says this, So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.16-18 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Friends, be encouraged. The Lord is coming back. Christians should endure suffering patiently because number one, the Lord is coming back. And number two, the Lord is our judge. Look at, me with, look, look at me with verse 9. Do not complain, brethren. So James 5, verse 9. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Uh, I teach high school social studies uh, at Community High School in Lamars, and one of the classes I teach is government, and we spend a decent amount of time on the legal system. Um, and our judges play an important role in ensuring equal justice under the law. We all have a picture of a judge in our heads, someone who um, is wearing a, usually a black robe, seated on the bench in the courtroom, making decisions about guilt and innocence, fairness and unfairness, right and wrong. James depicts the Lord Jesus Christ as the judge about to enter the judgment hall. It's the other side of my first point. The hope of the second coming does provide comfort in trials. However, the reality is that Christ will return to, as the Bible says, to judge the living and the dead. And that should caution those who are tempted to complain amid their trials. 
Living with difficult circumstances or conditions can cause believers to become frustrated, lose patience, and complain. We've lived in Lamar's for going on five years now, and it's our first experience as homeowners. And in the last year, we've replaced our air conditioning system, which thankful for days like today, our furnace, and now we have a new roof that we just got over the 4th of July. So we're set for a while. Um, And it gets easy in the midst of that to complain, to question, to fill your heart with bitterness. But that attitude is what John MacArthur calls internal and unexpressed. It is bitter, resentful. It's a resentful spirit that rears itself in relationship with others. The bitterness carries over. It never fails. When I start to complain about anything going on in my life, it leaks over into all other aspects of it. If I was honest, that attitude does not reflect a biblical approach to enduring suffering. James gives his readers a simple but powerful motive for avoiding such bitter complaining because you're going to be judged too. In Philippians 2, 14 through 16, if you turn with me in your Bible to Philippians 2, 14 through 16, it's one of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible. Philippians 2, 14 through 16 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Those who do not know the Lord will face final judgment, resulting in an eternity of separation from Christ in the lake of fire. But even believers will be judged. Believers aren't going to be judged for their sins. That was taken care of at Calvary. But... Even though we need not fear facing judgment for our sins, we love our Lord and don't want to lose our reward. Instead, we want to hear that wonderful phrase, well done, thy good and faithful servant, as he rewards us for a life of gold, silver, and gems. The coming of the Lord is imminent, and James emphasizing the imminency of Christ's return to judge our works. James warns, behold, the judge is standing right at the door. The judgment is coming soon. Christ, the divine judge, is ready to throw open the doors and burst onto the judgment scene. He will make that dramatic entrance at his arrival, both the hope of Christ's return as the end of suffering and the recognition of future judgment should produce patience in suffering. Christians should patiently endure suffering because, number one, the Lord is coming back. Number two, the Lord is our judge. And number three, the Lord's servants provided an example. Let's look at verse 10 of James 5. James 5 says, As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. To show how to endure suffering, James points out the example of the prophets who had endured suffering with patience. Suffering comes from the Greek word uh, kakopathia, a compound word from which, which from kakos, evil, and pathos is to suffer. The prophets serve as a fitting example Uh, to those who have patiently endured evil treatment from people because they spoke in the name of the Lord. In fact, it really shouldn't be surprising that they endured that kind of um, persecution because to speak in the Lord was their function. That's what they did, right? Jeremiah 20 verse 9 says, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones and am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Throughout the Old Testament, the often repeated phrase, thus says the Lord, shows and attests to 
the function of the prophets to speak in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord represents all that he is, does, and wills. The prophets were God's spokespersons, and they were rejected. Rejecting those people of God is a familiar and unfortunately tragic theme in Israel's history. Um, Here's some examples. Jesus denounced the Pharisees as the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Uh, In Matthew 23, 31, our Lord said this, Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Later in Matthew, Jesus um, described the city of Jerusalem as the city who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. The Bible is full of examples in which prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord were rejected. The persecution endured by them is a sad story of rejection and abuse. And there are numerous stories like it throughout the scriptures. I just picked a few out today. Moses had to put up with stiff-necked people, uh, rebellious Israelites who left Egypt in Exodus. So Moses cried to the Lord in Exodus 17.4, What shall I do with his people? They are almost ready to stone me. Saul hunted David without remorse in 1 Samuel 18. Elijah faced hostility from the evil king Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. We turn to 1 Kings chapter 18 in the Old Testament. Um, 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, o, is it you troubler of Israel? Fast forward a few chapters, 1 Kings 21 20. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered. He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And how can we forget Jeremiah? Jeremiah endured opposition throughout his ministry. In fact, he was brought such sorrow, they called him the weeping prophet. Jeremiah 18.18 says this, Then they said, Come, let us make plots against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor word from the prophet. Come, let us strike him with the tongue, and let us not pay attention to any of his words. Ezekiel endured the death of his wife during the course of his ministry. Daniel was torn from his home as a young boy, and later he got thrown into the lion's den for his, because of his faithfulness of God. Hosea endured a heartbreaking marriage. Amos faced lies and scorn. John the Baptist was imprisoned and beheaded for the testimony to God's truth. Hebrews 11 also commends a whole host of prophets who, who, although not as well known as the ones I've already mentioned, were no less faithful. The patience under trials exhibited by these faithful prophets should provide encouragement for believers to run the Christian race with diligence and faithfulness no matter how severe the persecution. Friends, we live in a world that is getting more and more adversarial to the gospel every second. Christians around the world are being persecuted, and here in America are being persecuted, and the persecution will get worse. This world will throw all kinds of challenges and struggles at believers, but heed the example of the prophets. Endure with patience. Christians should patiently endure suffering, number one, because the Lord is coming back. Number two, the Lord is our judge. Number three, because the prophets, the Lord's servants, provided an example. And four, the Lord blesses those who endure. The first half of James chapter 5, verse 11 says this, We count those blessed who remain steadfast. 
This verse introduces a fourth reason for patiently enduring suffering or trials. It is common knowledge that God has blessed those who have endured. People who endure are the objects of divine favor. Paul understood that, and he revealed it in 2 Corinthians 12. So if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Let's take a look at that. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Verses 7, we'll go through about verse uh, 10. So 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. Therefore, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was blessed in his life with humility, dependence on God, special grace, and spiritual strength. All through this being unjustly assaulted by Satan. God's blessing in this life does not only come to people who do, who do great things. We don't have a, a works-based um, faith. But it also comes to people who endure. Those who will receive the greatest blessing in the life to come are those who have endured su- the greatest suffering in the present world. Matthew 20, verses 20 through 23 says this. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. Then he said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit it at my right hand and left is not for me to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. The hope of blessing now and in the future, the glorious eternity to come, should motivate Christians to endure suffering patiently. Christians should endure suffering patiently because the Lord is coming back. The Lord is our judge. The Lord's servants provided an example. The Lord blesses those who endure. And number five, the Lord has a purpose. The second half of James chapter 5, verse 11. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. James's fifth reason for patiently enduring suffering came from a, from a familiar story. The incredible endurance of Job. Job amid his trials is one of the most popular stories of Jewish history. Job endured unimaginable, unexplained suffering. The fierce attacks of Satan, the loss of his children, his wealth, his health, his reputation. And worst of all, he lost his sense of God's presence. And Job did vocalize his misery. If you you turn to Job chapter 3, in Job 3, Verses 1 through 5, Job said this. He's, he, I almost picture Job is crying out. He's vocalizing how miserable he is. He's lost his sense of God's presence. Job 3, 1 through 5 says this. After this, 
Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said, A man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. Go just a little bit forward to Job 3.11. Why did I not die at birth, come out from the womb and expire? Job complained about the mistaken beliefs of people who tried to comfort him and cried out to God wrought with confusion. Yet, amazingly, through it all, Job did not sin and did not blame God. Job's triumphant statement is found in Job 13.15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. That exemplifies his acceptance of trials. The outcome or purpose of the Lord's dealing with Job should provide hope for anyone that endures suffering. The example of Job encourages those suffering trials to patiently endure, realizing the Lord's purpose is to strengthen them, perfect them, and in the end, to richly richly bless them. In the words of the Apostle Paul, God calls all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who were called according to his purpose. In the days of darkness for you, in whatever trials or challenges or setback or persecution you're facing, I urge you to heed the example of Job and understand that the Lord has a purpose. Christians should endure suffering patiently because the Lord is coming back. The Lord is our judge. The Lord's servants provided us an example. The Lord blesses those who endure The Lord has a purpose. And finally, the last point today, the Lord's character is compassionate and merciful. The last half of verse 11 in James chapter 5. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James closes his encouragement to endure suffering patiently by reminding his readers of the character of God. It is not out of the ordinary for those, in, for, his reader, uh, for those in the midst of severe trials like Job to question whether God really cares about them. I hear it all the time. The tragedies, uh, the shootings that took place in Texas and Illinois. There's a lot of people wondering, does God care? Where is he? Where is this compassionate, merciful God? In trials like the ones we face or in any trials that you have faced in your life, believers can find comfort in the undeniable truth that the Lord is compassionate and is merciful. And there's a bunch of verses uh, that we can look at to to show that the Lord is indeed compassionate and merciful. Um, Two that I want to do with you. Exodus 33. Go back to the Old Testament. Exodus 33, 18 and 19. In Exodus 33, verses 18 through 19, the word of God says this. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Lamentations. One of those books in the Old Testament that kind of gets passed over uh, when we talk about scripture, but... Lamentations is full of all sorts of good, good scripture. Uh, Lamentations three twenty two through twenty three, and this has kind of been my verse for trials here. Um, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases; His mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Compassion comes from the Greek word polyspanknos, a word used here in the New Testament. It might even be according to uh, John MacArthur and a few other commentators coined by James himself. It literally means many-boweled, reflecting the Hebrew idiom, which spoke of the bowels of the stomach as, a se- as the seed of emotion. To say that God is many-boweled sounds strange to us, but it's, it's to affirm that he has an enormous amount of compassion. That God is merciful is an unmistakable teaching of Scripture. Ephesians 2.4 says this. Ephesians 2.4, But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, verse 5, made us alive together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. Because of God's mercy, Peter encouraged all believers in 1 Peter 5.7 to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The suffering of believers brings a merciful, compassionate response from our Heavenly Father. Go to Psalms real quick here, just to kind of close up. Psalms 103, verse 13. Psalms 103, verse 13. It's one of my favorite Psalms. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 11. Okay, So verse 11 through 13 of Psalms 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth... So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Any trial, suffering, or persecution Christians face can be patiently endured by remembering six things. The Lord is coming back. The Lord is our judge. The Lord's servants provided an example. The Lord blesses those who endure. The Lord has a purpose, and the Lord's character is compassionate and merciful. In the midst of a world full of suffering and trials, and I don't know what what people are facing out here today, and confusion about what is coming next, in the midst of a world that tells you to complain and use worldly things to endure those suffering, it's okay. Believers who endure suffering patiently will be able to say joyfully, as the psalmist said in Psalms Psalms 30, verse 5, For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for the day you've given us. We thank you for um, your love and your compassion even as we endure suffering. And I I pray that those here that are facing challenges and trials will not seek to to turn to the world, but seek to turn to you. Uh, Know that you care and that you love them and that you are here for them. We are just so blessed by by the opportunity today to dive into your word. I thank you for um, all those here and just bless this church as they move forward in their ministry. ask these things in your name. Amen.